Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. He's describing this truth here in John three nineteen through 20 that men love darkness. Unbelievers love darkness. Now we were talking about this at the last prayer meeting where Brother Ken was teaching about darkness and all of a sudden I was thinking to myself, oh yeah, that's why they call it nightclubs. Right? I mean, what are nightclubs? A place where dark things happen, right? A place where men and women are are met and picked up to do dark things of sexual immorality, and men love darkness because their deeds are evil. They hate the light. Neither come it to the light as the deeds should be reproved, right? So, but true Christians are described in 1 Peter 2.9, 1 Peter 2.9, as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our fellowship here is not a nightclub. It's a light club. (laughs) So I thought we should put a sign out. Don't go to that nightclub. Come to this light club. Why? Because of the Lord has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called out of the nightclub of darkness into the light club of his marvelous light. And the calling of Christians is in Ephesians 5.8. For ye were sometimes darkness. You were the darkness. But now are you light. You are the light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. Walk as children of light, he says. That means we live our life sensitive to our consciousness, that God has enlightened our consciousness. The question asked in 2 Corinthians 6.14, what fellowship has light with darkness means that no Christian can live a life of separation without having a conflict with the darkness around. So to walk in this way, to walk in this path of separation means that we are sensitive to the voice of conscience that's been illuminated by God through the Bible. So to live a sensitive life, so to to live a, a separated life, we must live a separated life because there is a standard to uphold, number one, and number two, because there is a conscience to listen to. Now, notice a third reason to not be joined with an unbeliever. In 2 Corinthians 6.15, what harmony has Christ with Belial? You know, this is the only verse in the New Testament that uses this Hebrew word, Belial. It means a person that's wicked, a person that's worthless. It represents Satan. So on one hand, we've got the Lord Jesus Christ, who's described in Acts 10.38, who went about doing good, eh? and is also described in Hebrews 7.26, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And on the other hand, we have Satan, it's described in John 8.44, a murderer from the beginning, 
abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so here's two masters. And we are going to have to be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ or loyal to the devil. There's no middle ground. That's it. In Matthew 6, 24, he said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Either a person follows Satan or he follows the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the decision that the person makes. It's possible for a believer to follow Satan. It is. It's possible for a believer to follow. Ananias and Sapphira were believers. And in Acts 5.3, Acts 5.3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep part of the price of the land? Whilst it remains, was it not thine own, etc.? And then... Further on in Acts 5, 7, it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in and Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? So it's possible for a believer to follow Satan. But Peter followed Satan. In Matthew 16, 21, Matthew 16, 21, it says, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ is the same as having a life of separation. And we must have a life of separation because one, there's a standard to uphold. Two, there's a conscience to listen to. And three, there's a master to obey. Now, we go on and we see in verse 15, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel. See, what part? Greek, it means throw in your lot with. He cannot have a part with. Our witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a witness that's far more important than any friendship we have with any other person. Our witness is far more important than us being known as a good guy or somebody who doesn't rock the boat. Our witness is far more important than making money. Our witness is paramount Our witness is to be preserved. There's a witness for us to be preserved. Therefore, we must live a separated life so that our light is not dimmed and so the truth is not diluted. So we must live a separated life because one, we have a standard to uphold. Two, we have a conscience to listen to. Three, we have a master to obey. And four, we have a witness to preserve. A witness to preserve. Now, there's a fifth reason that we have to live a separated life, and that's given to us in verse 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The highest activity that we have on earth is to worship and honor God. I mean, that's the supreme purpose of our lives, It's our highest purpose is to have this friendship with God. And so down through the ages, Satan has worked to destroy man's friendship with God. 
I mean, that's what he did in the garden. When in the Garden of Eden, was he was destroying the friendship between God and man. That's what he did in the days of the tabernacle when they built the calf. During the temple days, started to sell and so forth. It was on and on through Scripture is that we see that there is this continual effort by Satan to destroy the friendship that man has with God. But that's man's highest purpose in life, to have friendship with God. So the highest statement of friendship with God is in this verse 16. You are the temple of the living God. God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. This is the fifth reason to live a separated life, because there is a friendship to maintain. This is the supreme purpose of man. This friendship with God is destroyed when we allow anything to come into our lives that grieves him, that comes between us and our God, as it says in Isaiah 59, 2. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from him, so he will not hear. And Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So to not live a separated life is to destroy our friendship with God. To not live a separated life ruins a life of prayer. It makes us lazy as Christians, and it takes our attention away from God. But we have to live, we must live a separated life and not be unequally yoked because one, we have a standard to uphold. Two, we have a conscience to listen to. Three, we have a master to obey. Four, we have a witness to preserve. And five, we have a friendship to maintain or a purpose to fulfill. Those are the five reasons that why we must live a separated life and not be unequally yoked. But now let's think about that. That statement in verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked. What does it mean to us in our lives? What are the ways in which we must not be unequally yoked in our lives? Let's bring this prohibition of being not unequally yoked right off the page of Scripture, right down to where we, you and I live. It may be that there are some associations in our lives right now that we have to cut. We have to cut out of our lives if we're going to go through with God on this message. And so first and foremost... To be unequally yoked means in marriage. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers in marriage. The scripture is very clear that a believer is not to become unequally yoked with a non-believer. And it says that in marriage, in 2 Corinthians 7.39, where it says, 2 Corinthians 7.39, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. When the scripture says married, only in the Lord. It means only to a Christian. An unequal marriage yoke between a Christian to a non-Christian brings a life of suffering and sorrow and shame. But for a Christian to agree to an unequal marriage yoke with a non-Christian is not only that, it's a bold sin against God. I mean, I know people today, I know people today who say, oh, but I married before she or he or she was a Christian, but now he or she has become a Christian. But the truth is, is that it was a direct disobedience to God. It was a sin to have married a non-Christian. The fact that God in his grace and his mercy wonderfully overruled the sin 
and brought blessing out of it does not change the fact. It doesn't make the first decision right. It does not change the fact that it was a sin against God to have married a non-Christian. It was an unequal yoke. And I can show you Christians today who have sinned and married a non-Christian who are suffering the consequences because the non-Christian spouse did not become a Christian. And if a young person comes and says, well, you know, can't I date a non-Christian because I may win them to the Lord? You know, the answer is no. It's a violation of the will of God from 2 Corinthians 6.14. It's flirting with the danger of becoming unequally yoked with an unbeliever. This is what we're looking at with Ruth and Naomi here right now. And the reason why Christians get into moral trouble and they become emotionally and sexually involved with non-Christians is because when they disobey God, they walk right into those relationships without any protection at all from God. Why? Because God does not offer any protection to a Christian who walks the path of disobedience. God never protects a man or a woman who's walking in deliberate disobedience to God. So we are not to become unequally yoked in marriage. But marriage is not the only application of being unequally yoked. It's possible to be unequally yoked in social events. Now, we have to think now to, uh, about what life was like for the Corinthians in their day. Let's just say that if a believer was invited to a dinner, a social dinner, at a house of a non-believer in Corinth, you know what was typical in those dinners? They would begin and end each meal with the practice of making a drink offering to idols. What's a Christian going to do? The Christian can't do that. So in making offerings to heathen idols, the Christian must not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever in offering to idols, even if it cost him friendships. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ, he did eat. He did drink with sinners. It says that about him in Mark 2.16. Mark 2.16, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Yes, it's true. He walked right into the den of sinners. And he was with sinners, but he remained clean, as it says in Hebrews 7, 26. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. He saw the sin. He felt the temptation of the sin, but he was without sin, as it says in Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities and was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we are not to be unequally yoked in social relationships. We are not to be unequally yoked in marriage. We are not to be unequally yoked in social relationships. To see this last application here of not being unequally yoked with uh, non-believers, we have to think again of what it was like for Christians in Corinth. Suppose a Christian was a stonemason, and he got a contract to build a shrine to a heathen god. What should he do? Should he build the shrine to the false god? No, he must not be unequally yoked with a non-Christian in the building of a shrine to a false god, to a heathen god. Suppose a Christian was a tailor, and he got a contract to make garments to be used by the heathen priestesses who were also prostitutes in those temples. What must he do? Should he make the garments for the prostitute priestesses to use in the temples of the false gods? No. He must not be unequally, he must not be unequally yoked with a non-believer in producing the garments for the temple of priests and prostitutes. 
Suppose a Christian was a soldier in those days, and at the gate of every camp, there burned a light, Roman camp, there burned a light to Caesar. Caesar is God. And all the soldiers had to take a handful of incense and fling it into the fire when they passed by that altar to Caesar. What must a Christian do? Should he make an offering of incense to Caesar as God? No. He must not be unequally yoked with soldiers, with his comrades, in offering incense to Caesar as God. And, then, and you think, oh, well, that was in Rome's day. That was thousands of years ago. Well, it happens today, let me tell you. I have visited plants both in Tokyo and Osaka at diagnostic companies and pharmaceutical factories where at the entrance there is a shrine to the idols and employees today are expected to bow at that shrine when they go through the entrance gate. What must a Christian do? Should he, should he bow along with his fellow employees at that shrine in Japan every time he passes by the gate to the factory there? He must not be unequally yoked with his fellow employees in bowing at those shrines to heathen gods at those entrance gates. See, in all of these applications, the Christian was caught between the pressure to have the safety and security of income and his loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the call was, don't be unequally yoked. You know, it's interesting about F.W. Sherrington. F.W. Sherrington, he had a fortune that he inherited from his father, and the fortune was made by brewing. And so one night, F.W. Sherrington was in London, he was walking in Whitechapel, in the area of London there called Whitechapel, and he was walking by a tavern, and there waiting at the door was this poorly dressed woman who was the wife of a man that was in the tavern. And she was begging her husband to come out of the tavern to come home. Well, her husband came out of the tavern and with one great blow right in her face, he knocked her out and down in the gutter. So Sherrington immediately ran to the woman and bent to help her. And as he looked up, he saw across the top of the tavern his own name, Sherrington. (laughs) And here were Sherrington's words. Here's what he wrote about that. With that one blow, that man knocked his wife out but he also knocked me clean out of the business forever. And he later wrote, when I saw that sign, I was stricken just as surely as Paul on the Damascus road. I mean, here was the source of my family wealth and it was producing untold human misery before my own eyes. Then and there I pledged to God that not another penny of that money should come to me. And so he gave up the fortune. He could have had that He gave up the fortune rather than to touch money earned that way. And Sheraton gave up all the money and he gave his life to temperance and to evangelism. And in 1870, he founded in London the Tower Hamlet Mission. And on his 36th birthday, he built what was then one of the largest church assembly halls. He called it the Great Assembly Hall that held 5,000 people for the preaching of the gospel. Now, everybody's got to make their own decisions for themselves. I mean, you know, a person can either take his business to Christ or take Christ into his business. I mean, for me, I took my business to Christ and I gave it to him. And my motto was, you take care of my business and I'll take care of your business from God. So we're not to be unequally yoked in business. Number one, we're not to be unequally yoked in marriage. Number two, 
We're not to be unequally yoked in social relationships. Number three, we are not to be unequally yoked in business. Now, we can't read this in 2 Corinthians 6.14, be not unequally yoked, where it tells us not to be yoked without, not to be yoked, unequally yoked, without also reading what we are to be yoked to. And so in Matthew 11.29, when the Lord says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So don't be unequally yoked, but take the yoke of Christ. What is that? To take, as someone has said, to take the yoke of Christ is life received. To take the yoke of sin is lust conceived. To take the yoke of Christ is rest enjoyed. To take the yoke of self is peace destroyed. To take the yoke of Christ is heaven served. To take the yoke of the devil is hell deserved. But the separated life here, is not only dealing with being unequally yoked. The second part of this is in verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The separative life not only demands all refusals of an unequal yoke in marriage, social relationships, and business, the separated life also demands our withdrawal from, our removal from, our extraction from all worldly contaminations. When God called the Jewish people out of Egypt, they were to leave Egypt and every contaminating, immoral, and ungodly practice that was in Egypt. When God called the Jewish people out of Babylon, they were to leave Babylon and every contaminating, immoral, and ungodly practice in Babylon. Now, this doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves from the world, no. But we are to insulate ourselves from the world. We're to insulate ourselves from the immorality and the evil that's in the world. It reminds me last Friday night at the Child Evangelism booth there in Del Mar when I was giving the gospel to a group of little girls. They sat right in front there, you know. And every time I said the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, one little girl kept on saying, and the evil. <laughs> she would say, and the evil. <laughs> we are to keep ourselves insulated from the evil in the world. As the Lord said, when he prayed for us in John 17, 15. John 17, 15, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And when a Christian feels that he's in a relationship or he's in a position or he's in a situation or he's seeing something or he's hearing something that's defiling and degrading, he's got to come out of those contaminations. If a Christian does not remove himself from those contaminations, it's going to affect his thinking. It's going to affect his thinking. He will have loose thinking where he will say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with this or that or immorality. It's okay. That's loose thinking. And loose thinking will lead to loose living. We're living in an age of tolerance. We're living in an age of tolerance and compromise. But the scripture stands against this toleration and it stands against this compromise. So to not be contaminated may mean that we have to separate ourselves from places. It may mean that we have to separate ourselves from persons. It may mean that we have to separate ourselves from positions. So we've got to live like Ruth. Live like Ruth, a separated life, which means we have a standard to uphold. That's we have to live a separated life because we have a standard to uphold because we have a conscious to listen to, 
because we have a master to obey, because we have a witness to preserve, because we have a friendship to maintain or a purpose. And that means for us that we may not be unequally yoked in marriage. We may not be unequally yoked in social relationships, and we may not be unequally yoked in business. To not become contaminated, we have to separate ourselves. Touch not the unclean thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for showing us so clearly that to be devoted to you, we have to live a separated life. Help us all, Lord, to go through with you on these issues. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the earth? Do you believe God created you in his image? Then come celebrate Museum Day at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Museum Day is a Christian family festival event with life-size dinosaurs, games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, vendor booths, petting zoos, live animal encounters, and super science experiments for kids, along with world-renowned speakers Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, David Reeves, Russ Miller, Kevin Conover, Dr. John Baumgartner, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements for you and your family and entire church family are free. The Creation and Earth History Museum is located off of Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. So bring your family and friends on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and strengthen your faith at Museum Day. For more information, call us at 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org, creationsd.org.